you've been listening for the last few weeks, you know that we got some new tunes to get yourself in the mood here on the Rec Poker Podcast. It gets me going when I hear it. I mean, I know a lot of things get me going when I hear it, but I really like that new intro music. So I got to shout out uh, Peter Trulin from Pete and Steve, or Steve and Pete, uh, my our, our mutual friend Steve Fredlin's old buddy. Uh, Peter Trulin, who uh, put that music together for us. And so very grateful to him for that. And if you go to the show notes, you can find out how to get in touch with Peter. Um, He's a fun guy and a great musician, and we're lucky to have him on the team here. So thanks, Pete. And uh, in case I haven't mentioned it already, it's the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, We have to thank our amazing, wonderful sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Prashan over at Website Amp, because we couldn't do it without them. Uh, I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games, or Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. We could totally do it without me, but they give me the mic every week anyway. Um, and when I say they, I mean the rest of the wrecking crew. These are the people that really make all the magic happen around here at Rec Poker. If you want to find out more about me and them and the rest of the gang, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. Uh, but you can just stick around because you're going to meet two of them right here, right now. Take it away, gang. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm Kim Kilroy. I am PatVat33 in the home game, PatVat underscore 33 on Twitter. And uh, this is the forums edition of the podcast. We do the chats edition every week as well, where we uh, have an interesting conversation with someone from the world of poker. But these forums editions tend to be a little more focused on the strategy of the game. And so every week, we take a different forum post from the rec.poker forums, which are free to join. I don't know if I mentioned that. All it takes is an email address and a smile. Get yourself on over to rec.poker and get yourself a free community account. You can play in the home games. You can post in the forums, get involved on Twitter, uh, join the podcast on YouTube every week. It's just uh, one of the great things that we do here. Um, most of what we do is free. It's a largely volunteer organization. We're here because we want to be sustainable and grow. We want to be around for a long time uh, to keep making the poker world a better place. And so we really, really appreciate the support of our premium members, folks like John Crowell and uh, Ben Enslow, who have joined us here for the conversation tonight. Um, So we're going to actually take a a forum post from Ben, who goes by Jammin96 in the uh, forums. And this is a forum post about a deep run he made in the Bounty Builder $22 on PokerStars. So just to set it up a little bit for folks who don't know. So a Bounty Builder, that means that we're playing in a knockout tournament. Um, so there's an added incentive to take people out because if you knock someone out, you get their bounty. And um, Ben's one of those lucky players that's playing on PokerStars outside of Ontario. Uh, so he gets to play with all sorts of other people here in Ontario uh, the Poker Stars player pool is a lot smaller, and it's kind of making for some interesting adjustments uh, for some of our local players. But uh, Ben uh, c- calling in from the east coast of Canada, another Canuckian. I can't wait to get a visit. We got to do a rec poker uh, road trip out there, Ben. Check out that Halifax casino one of these days. What do you think? Well, it's pretty funny. I keep hearing more and more Canuckians. You just had Doc on the chat, and she was talking about... Uh being from Vancouver and stuff. So it was just yeah. kind of funny, you know, hearing another Canuckian out there. So it's good to, it's good to hear. So, yeah. And it's kind of funny. You mentioned about the Ontario thing. It kind of goes both ways where 
I'm I'm here wishing that I was playing in smaller fields <laughs> and you guys are getting all the small fields. I want to get yep. in on some of that. <laughs> it's true. And so far I've discovered that there's a lot of people in Ontario. They're not very good at poker. So it's a good time. Uh, it's a good time to be playing poker in Ontario. I'll say that poker is alive and well, folks. Poker uh, is not dead. So don't worry about that. The uh, rumors to that effect have been greatly exaggerated. Um. Chris, did you have something to? Uh, I was just uh, quickly with? saying, I think that's really the interesting thing with, with these ringed games is I think you start to find some weaker player pools, but you're also mm. getting lower guarantees and lower prize pools, and there's like a trade off there. And I'm not sure where the the ideal thing is, but it's kind of, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah it's an inter- interesting tension for sure. Well, I think it kind of depends on what your goals are. Like if you're looking for a big bank, like a big, big score, you know, off of like a five or a ten dollar buying, you got to be playing in big fields because that's mm-hmm. where you're going to get your, you know, your bigger guarantees and stuff like that. But if you're looking to kind of grind a bankroll and kind of build a little bit, the smaller fields definitely are better because you get lower variance and stuff like that. So, yep, that's true. And, you know, especially in a place like Ontario, um, the people that are playing at these stakes it's not a lot of money to them. Whereas you're playing in a global player pool, there might be people living in places where the cost of living is a lot lower, where, you know, one, two or two, five cash games or a $3 tournament, that might be uh, real revenue for someone who's living in a different part of the world. So they're going to be very skilled players playing in those games. Whereas here in Ontario, playing with a bunch of other people from Ontario, um, you know, the big Mac index tells us that, uh, uh they're they're mostly playing with uh with a little more comfort in their in their pockets so i think that means that they're less serious they're less skilled and um the smaller number of better players are usually player at the higher stakes which is not a place that i like to tread i i know my place in the poker world and i like playing poker against people that are worse at poker than i am that's why we're talking about a 22 dollar tournament <laughs> here we go great one so ben yeah. you're uh, you're playing in this poker stars 22 dollar bounty tournament and um, I know you're a popular streamer. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. a Twitch channel that you're very active on. And were you streaming this hand at the time? Yeah, so it's this funny, tournament? actually. I wish I wish Rob Washam was here. We're missing Rob Washam tonight because yeah, he was actually, yeah, he was actually in the chat um, ah. when this hand occurred. So I do know what he, I do know what he, his opinion was at the time. I don't know if it's changed because I, I see he hasn't posted in the, he may not have seen it yet in the forums mm. either. So mm-hmm. he's fairly active in the forums too. So, well, we'll count on you to uh, relay his, his position to us here um, in his absence. So what was it about this? So this is about this, uh, you're on a deep run. Um, this one hand comes along here. What made you decide that this hand was one to, to bring to the forums and, and see what Rec Poker Nation thought about it? Well, the big thing for me was it's three-handed, so it's short-handed, mm. and it's not only that, but we're deep in a tournament, and the, the bounties get kind of get kind of big at this point. So there is a bunch of different dynamics that are kind of all going on at once with ICM. We're getting kind of close to where it's starting to matter, um, and then obviously the bounty as well. So I'm kind of curious to see what you guys what you guys think. Yeah, and so the, there was 1,800 players in the field. We're down to the last 25, so way to go already. Yeah. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> you got to win some flips and make some good decisions to get here. Um, and, you know, MTT variance is such a kick in the butt because all it takes is one. You can even make the right decision, get in with aces, and 20% of the time you're still going to lose uh, your tournament life here, which which uh, is a rough way to uh, 
to get a return on yeah, several I, hours I, I worth ran of playing really time. Well. <laughs> I ran really well in this tournament, like early on, um, really up to this point, like basically until there was 50 players left, I think I had over a hundred big blinds. Like I was just amazing. a sailing in this tournament. It was crazy. Uh, and but yeah, I definitely down... got lucky in a few spots. <laughs> uh, dude, I don't know any, no one has ever won a large field MTT without getting lucky. So yeah. that's that's uh, necessary, but it's not sufficient. So I know you're bringing the skills to the game that'll get you the rest of the way. So 25 players left. It's crazy to me that you're at a table with only three players. H- had yeah. someone just been eliminated or how how did that uh, how many players did you have the other tables up in the lobby or something? Could you I tell how it, many players were at the other table? I think it was a ta- we were on a table break and we were close to the two tables. Like, I'm not exactly sure if there was 25 players left or not, um, because it doesn't tell me on my poker tracker, but I know we were mm. in. So, there may have been 23 or 22, maybe 21 players left. I'm not really sure. I know it was between 20 and 25 players left in the tournament, mm. which I guess does kind of matter, um, when you're getting close, but. Um, that's the unfortunate yeah. thing about poker tracker. And I remember Kim saying when we did a hand history once before to mark and make sure to remember, try and mark in poker tracker where the money bubble hits and certain points of these tournaments are. So I tried yeah. to remember when this hand was, but I'm not exactly sure where the details are there. But and if folks are listening at home, uh, poker tracker, I have a, a long running love affair with poker tracker. And one of the great features is uh, you can tag hands and you can add notes to the hands in real time as you're playing. So uh, you can just add a tag to that hand with like a little blue circle. And then that's when the bubble burst, for instance, or something like that. And then when you're reviewing all the hands in the tournament later, you can just look down and see, oh, that's where the bubble burst or that's when the final table started or something like that. So using those tags is a great way to uh, to stay involved in that. Um, so. We are down in the nitty gritty. Uh, we're definitely in the position now where 25 out of 1800 we're laddering up with every exit, pretty much I would expect. Uh, so every the ICM does become a factor. And of course we want the bink. Like, you know, we want to win an $1,800, an 1800 uh, player field tournament. So, um, and yeah, I'm very, I'm very interested in this very strange dynamic of being mm-hmm. shorthanded here. So, we're on the button with about 61 big blinds. We've got our opponents in uh, the small blind who we've got covered, who has about 52 big blinds. And our main of villain is in the big blind with about 36 big blinds. So um, we've got both players covered. We're almost twice the stack of the big blind player. And um, I'll just read your, your comment here from the post. This is a great post, by the way, Ben, with some great details in here. Um, we have 161 hands on our poker tracker on our friend in the big blind. They're playing a 30 VPIP, 20 RFI, 7 3 bet, and C bets at 67%. So when I see a 30 27 player, um, that's going to be fairly wide, kind of a mix of passive and aggressive action, and a, and a relatively robust 3 bet uh, range at 7% there. Um, does anyone else on the in the panel here today feel free john uh kim chris when you see a player th- playing uh 30 20 does that tell you anything about them and of course it might be a little tweaked by the shorthanded play but i think over 130 hands probably not many of them have been that shorthanded so i wouldn't put too much stock in that 
Yeah, I agree. And and it's it's really hard to say. I mean, this isn't that many hands. And if we are in this kind of shorthanded dynamic, these actually start to feel like pretty normal numbers to me. Like, because mm-hmm. if we're, yeah, so uh, I wouldn't, I this seems like fairly yeah. standard, not much I would read into it in terms of like making I think big we were, decisions. <laughs> I think we were full hand, like full ring when we played with him before. For okay. most of them, like we probably yeah. have a hundred. I think we played probably close to a hundred hands with him when we were at the same table with him full ring, and then we split up, and then he came back on this shorthanded table. I believe it's, it's oh cool how it works. So then maybe Ooh. a little looser than some, you know, not too, not like wildly so, but maybe you know somebody who's playing just a little bit, you know, looser than like a GTO range. And when we talk about uh, uh, VPIP and RFI. Uh, what we're talking about is voluntarily put in pot, and it just means the percentage of the time that they chose to put chips in. Um, and when you measure that in a percentage, you're essentially measuring the percentage of hands that the poker that the player plays at all. Um, and everyone plays pocket aces and pocket kings and ace king and pocket queens. So everyone plays like the top five percent of hands, and most people play the next top, the next five. And, you know, a, a lot, a lot of players find a sort of comfortable place around 20%. 20% has a lot of pocket pairs, uh, aces, suited Broadway, some suited connectors, some offsuit Broadway. That's a very comfortable kind of arrow on the, on the chart, looking up into the corner. And then once you get over 20%, you start getting more of those like gappers, more offsuit hands, weaker suited Kings and stuff like that. And uh, so you can kind of put yourself in your opponent's head a little bit and think about these are the range of hands that they're going to be playing at certain spots. And that helps you range them uh, later. So when people talk about a 30-20 player, they're talking about a player who plays 30% of hands total and and 20% aggressively. So that that gap between them is the number of hands they play passively. So this player, uh, I think Chris is right, maybe, maybe a little wide. Um, but certainly in the still in the Goldilocks zone, as far as I'm concerned. So we've got the button. And then uh, you say we open up with the ace of spades, eight of clubs, and we're choosing 2.1 big blinds uh, for our opening size. Now, when our opponents are 35 and 50 big blinds, was this 2.1 your standard opening size at this point? I think so. And looking back at it, I probably size up a little bit here. Uh, now looking at it afterwards, I was thinking that too. When, as you were saying it just then, I was, thinking, <laughs> I was like, I probably do actually do 2.4 now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, 2.1, 2.4, it's still going to be pretty, you know, I don't know how Kim, Kim probably be like, do 2.4. <laughs> no, Kim's a technician when it comes to sizing. And, and I think 2.2 is good. I think think 2.4 is pretty large for uh, the effective stack size of the big blind. I mean, it's all semantics. Anywhere in that range of two to two and a half is probably fine. Mm -hmm. 2.25 or get out. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we make make our our typical open here. And I think uh, Ace-8 Opsuit is a pretty... Uncontroversial open. Yeah, I don't the think there's much to say. Um, the small blind folds and the big blind calls. All right, so take us through. Uh, do you have the hand up on your screen there, Ben? 
Uh, I have the, I just have the hand up in the forums. Oh, perfect. Um, perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's one. But yeah, the, the, uh, the flop comes with the three of clubs, the eight of hearts and the three or the five of hearts. And there's 5.15 in there. And he has 33 or they have 33.7 behind. So, so yeah. three, five, eight, two tone. We have a uh, top pair, top kicker, but no hearts, no hearts. Um, and if you were listening to the Matt Berkey podcast a few weeks ago, then, you know, against a typical calling range, we've got about 65% equity with that top pair <laughs> top kicker on a board like this. Um, so it's a pretty good, a pretty good place to be. Um, so they check and you lead out uh, 1.7 big blinds, which is what is referred to as a down bet here. It's a, a bet that's smaller than your open raise and, uh, and they call. So any thoughts with the group on whether to bet or size of the bet or anything like that, Chris? I have, I have big thoughts cause I've been st- uh, studying this spot a lot. And I'd be curious cause I know that Kim's got some, uh, some possible, and I have not looked at a solver on this, but I've been trying to study these spots a lot. And I think this is, a spot this is like a, a classic spot where we want to go big um and the reason we want to go big is because yes our opponent can hit some really premium hands but the premium hands they're hitting are only really sets in two pair they can't it, obviously they can't have a straight they can't have a flush everything else is a draw and they're going to have a ton of weak stuff too they're going to have a ton of um weak one pair holdings uh weak top pair holdings that we dominate um two overs to the eight uh they're gonna have a like a ton of that kind of stuff as well and we want to um charge the ones that are going to come along um and it's going to actually really influence not to spoil anything but it's going to really influence our conversation on the turn. When we make a big bet here, we're going to make our life a lot easier on the turn in these exact spot kind of spots. So when you see boards that are like really big blind friendly, but not so connected that they can't have flopped a straight or a flush or something like that. And we have a really great hand that's vulnerable like this with ace eight. This is the like the the like classic kind of go big and i would actually go pot with this or bigger is my take and i'd be curious if i'm right i agree um but i think this is a big check back spot for a lot of our range i think yeah. we're probably maybe checking back up to 50% of our range here so uh or somewhere between 40 and 50% so because we have to look at this sort of board and the equities are not that far apart between a button and a big blind here. Um, was the small blind in here? No, he was folded no. Okay. So we arguably he doesn't, the, our opponent doesn't have any over pairs. We would expect a three bet. Arguably they don't have top set. They could possibly have pocket threes or pocket fives here. Um, there's a lot of flush draws. We don't block any flush draws. They could have uh, they could have two pair easily. They could have any two pair on this board if it's a big blind that likes to defend with any two cards. Especially, I guess if we're if they're only defending suited, they only have 
probably only two eight threes. Um, and when you say so, Kim, when you say they only have two eight threes, it's because we can see eight. the three of clubs and the eight of hearts. So they're not playing three eight offsuit. So they must right. have either the eight three of diamonds or the eight three of uh, clubs, right? Right. But a lot of a lot of players will defend with every, uh, all their holdings when to a min open by the button. Mm. So I, I still like the sizing. I think the sizing is fine. Um, so when we do bet, because we don't bet as often, we are going to bet big here. And especially with our hand, our specific hand, because we need a lot of protection here. We can't let give, we can't price in random over cards with a heart in them. Like we're trying to fold out all the over cards, the nine tens, the Jack Kings, the queen nines, like everything. We're just trying to fold out all the over cards here uh, because our hand is very vulnerable at this spot, at this point in time. So I agree. We want a big bet here. And that was a great um, note I took from the study groups we were doing with Gareth James earlier this year, uh, which we've talked about before on the show. But if you're betting frequently, then you should do it typically to a smaller sizing. And if you're betting less frequently, uh, you should do it with a larger sizing. It's a general rule, and it should be balanced in both cases. Don't get me wrong. It's not like one's a value bet and the other one's not. You should have bluffs and value in both of them. But the less frequently you're betting uh, within your range, the larger the bet size should be. Um, yeah, well, you guys said it. You guys said it perfectly. So uh, the opponent does call, and Ben, you go into some some good points here in the uh, forum post where you yourself talk about sizing up for yeah. the reasons that we've talked about here. So I know we, that's not... pretty much was, yeah, we were on the same page there. I knew, I knew exactly where, <laughs> cause even when <laughs> I read it, cause I had left it and then I had come back to it and I read mm. it, read a cup through it a couple of times tonight before we came on mm. and even reading it. When I see 1.7, I'm like, that just doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't seem right. Like, it seems like I should either check like Kim said, or, I should just yes. size up, like you said. I don't know if I don't know if I can do pot size though. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I do like four big blinds. Maybe I is that would that be too would that would that be too small or? I, I think I think it's we're sort of in the middle here. When if we if we're thinking they're closer to thirty, I like the four big blinds. If we're thinking they're closer to forty, I like a pretty much a pot size bet to put a maximum pressure on. Here. You're talking about their stack there, Kim? Their, their yeah. big blind stack? Yeah, yeah. the effective yeah. stack. Yeah. So, I mean, this hand specifically just needs a lot of protection. Hmm. Yeah. We have no hearts so. in our hand, right? Hmm. We just we just need, we have a very, what's probably to be the best hand right now. Um, and I think, yeah. And that's another good point. You know, we like having these kind of general rules. And when you know that your entire range is going to have different bet sizes, then it just be thoughtful about which which hands go into which sizing bucket. And generally, the hands that are strong but vulnerable are going to be slam dunk choices for that larger sizing. Um, not there's other hands in there as well, but that's that's a good way to be uh, to be thinking about that as well. So uh, we do get called. And the turn comes the seven of spades. So the board is three of clubs, five of hearts, seven of spades, eight of hearts. Uh, the pot's eight and a half big blinds. 
and our opponent has 32 left in their effective stack. So uh, to use Ben's words, <laughs> this is where the rails <laughs> come off the tracks. Oh, and actually, I want to point out, sorry, one thing before we go uh, on to that. I love this point that Ben just made about even just writing the post and reading it afterwards. He realized a sizing issue. He realized that there was something that he'd done wrong or something that he could have done better. And I just want to reinforce to our listeners, when you write a hand down, you're using a part of your brain that is different from the part of your brain that, that is just playing poker. When you're putting the hand into your own words, you have to think about it differently. And when you're reviewing it afterwards, you're thinking about it differently. And this is how we find these spots. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've posted into the forums and I've answered my own question just by writing it out because my brain now has to actually analyze it and think about it and understand it and put it into my own words. And you can't BS yourself to your face. <laughs> you can kind of <laughs> you can kind of BS yourself to the back of your mind while you're playing, but you like writing it down provides some uh, some accountability even if you don't share it with anybody else. Obviously, sharing it in the forums or sharing it with friends is a much better way to learn because you can get other people's perspectives, but even just the mechanical process of putting it into your own words and writing it down, posting it in the forums, you're going to learn a lot about the hand that you might not have learned otherwise. So kudos to you man for for sharing this with us. So, uh, yeah, the, the train comes off the tracks here. Um, our opponent checks, uh, the pot's 8.5. Uh, so we bet here, which I think we're doing a lot. Does anyone want to talk about whether to bet or check here or what the sizing might be before I reveal uh, Ben's action? I feel like yeah. I'm betting here a lot. I want Because yeah, I want to take us back to that flop. And I think okay. this is why... Yeah. When we have a, a big bet, if we do a pot size bet here and we are called, this becomes a much, I think, easier decision for us. Um, and because when we're called to, for a 1.7 sizing, I do think we have to continue here. I think we have to continue to bet. Um, but we're going to be in some painful situations when we do. And now we could check it back. Um, this is not an ideal card that has just shown up. Um, but we're still holding top top on a now somewhat scarier board. Um, but if we are called a after a pot size bet, I love checking back this turn. Mm -hmm. I think it gives us full permission to do it. Um, and 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 you know, I, it, it's just I think it becomes an easier hand to play because we've done that larger sizing on the flop. That's my. Yeah take i, I we, totally agree with that take yeah yeah, yeah I agree we talk too. we talk about this sometimes I, I i steal this concept from the thinking poker podcast of contorting your opponent's ranges with your bet sizes when we bet 1.7 big blinds our opponent's going to continue with all his really good hands and then also a bunch of not as good hands and so we can bet for value here on the turn because they still have a bunch of hands in there that we're ahead of um when we bet pot we change the range of hands that they continue with we we exert this power over our opponent and they're only continuing with that tighter range of better hands because they're folding those worse hands to a larger sizing so as chris says when you make the bigger bet and they call the range of hands that they can have on the turn is much smaller and stronger intersects with this board better 
And so this seven is a much worse card for us. And, uh, and we can, we can check behind having already extracted a lot of the value from, from the hands that, that we have. And now at that point, we're, you know, if we check back here, we're navigating to showdown and hoping to God, a heart doesn't show up on the flop or on the river, basically. (laughs) And then, you know, we're really just trying to navigate the showdown at that point. Um, Whereas here we're in this murky, like, I think I still need to like push out some hands and I probably need to extract some value and protect this holding we're kind of in this middle ground where we're not quite sure where to go. And I think, I think the right choice with the hand as played is to bet this turn. Um, that would be my take. Yeah, I think so too. And and then what kind of sizing would we choose there in that case? Uh, because we're, we're behind more of our opponent's range than we were before when the seven comes, because some straight draws came in some one pair hands are now two pair hands that are mm-hmm. going to be dominating us. Um, so does that make us want to, and I think there's kind of two schools to thought to this. I think you can bet big and just know that you're folding to a raise or that you're never putting more chips in on the river, or you can bet small and still try and get called by some of those worse hands. Um, but you're still putting chips in, in an unenviable spot. Kim, you look like you've got something to share. Yeah, like I, you said, never calling a raise. I think that's wrong. I think that there's a lot of hands that we're going to bet here and we're going to call an all-in an all jam. Like most of our eights that we're betting here, since we only got to this place with eights that wrap around. <laughs> we should have only gotten here with eights that wrap around this. So eight, nine, um, maybe jack eight, you know, eight, six, things that coordinate with the board better um Mm. and those we're going to call off with we're going to be calling off with those hands um yeah when Mm. i ran it through the solver we never get to this point with a state but they do want you to call off with with king eight offsuit if that okay all right all right if that makes you Um, feel any better (laughs) (laughs) so no So, Kim, do you think the size of the bet on the turn has any impact on how we respond to a raise? I, I like his sizing here. If he's going to bet, I like this size on the turn, the way this hand was played. And so on the turn, uh, the pot is eight and a half big blinds, and Ben leads uh, our opponent checks, and uh, hero Ben uh, leads six big blinds into, uh, into the pot, six into 8.5. Our opponent jams. For two um, times pot, right? About two times uh, pot? Uh, yeah, they've got 32 bigs behind. Yeah. So we put six in and eight and a half. So there's 14 and a half. So yeah, a little over 2x what's in there at the moment. Um, so we, who are our math wizards? How many? How often do we have to win this hand for, uh, this, for a call to be profitable here? We only have to win uh, it 50% of the time. Is that right? Uh, someone who's smarter than me, do some live math here. I refuse to do live math on the air anymore. I don't do it. Um, but yeah, you, if, you did if, pretty good with, uh, you did pretty good with Berkey the other day. Yeah, <laughs> that, was pretty, that was close. That was close. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Yeah, so sorry. What was our actual number there? 14 yeah. and a half. And then they're shoving, uh, 32 into it. So uh, it's about two and two and change times the size of the pot. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna have to call 
how much more is it then at that point? We're going to have to call 18 into a pot of 20. 30. No, 20, uh, 26, That's 20. Yeah. 26, 26, right. Our opponent has 32. They, they're going to call our six and then jam in the rest. So it's 26 more on top of 20, 26 more. We got to call 20 more. There's 20 in the pot. There you go. So a little, a little, we have to be right a little more than, uh, than that, but not, not, uh, not a whole lot more. So I think it, a lot of this really comes down to the opponent's tendencies, right? Like, do we think this is a player that's going to jam this with a pair plus draw? Because there are a lot, like if they've got a six in their hand right now, they've got an up and down. And a lot of the sixes that they have are going to have a five or a seven or an eight. Or, you know, if they have a four, then they've already made the straight. We don't like that. But a lot of these other hands are going to be pair plus draw and we're ahead of the pair pair plus draw straight up equity but we're obviously way behind uh the two pair combos and there aren't as many combos of those uh because of all the cards that we get to see including our own eight but um yeah and uh, ben says they jam fairly quickly they do take a couple seconds before moving their stack in and another so Let's not talk about the bounty yet, but there is a yeah. bounty implication here as well. So let's pretend that there wasn't a bounty. So Kim, you're pretty clear that you're fist pump calling here. Top pair, top kicker. Sometimes you're going to be behind because of the way that the boards run out, but that's poker, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. when you're behind, you probably have outs anyway. Yep, you got three three outs to the ace to give you a bigger two pair. And... Um, you know you're gonna you're gonna lose to the straights and sets, but um, that those are only gonna make up a small part. Uh, well, let's get back to the villain dependent thing. So I think they're probably doing this with their straights and sets. Do you guys think they're doing it with all their pair plus draw hands? Like how many hands that were behind are they actually taking this action with? What do we think? I think that they would have raised on the flop if they had a set. With two hearts and yeah, and, and a straight draw on there, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, not always. Yep, most of the time. I mean, the only hand that I'm really worried about here is the straight. To be honest, mm -hmm. um, so how often are they? Do they have that straight compared to? So you have to put them on. That's when you open your flopzilla and put them all on that range of what they could arrive to this point with, and how many four sixes are in that range. Mm -hmm. um, how many two pairs are in that range. And then we have to decide if this is a good call or not. Yeah. And yeah I think they have, a, I think they have a lot of that in the big blind, especially being sh like shorthanded. Like we are, I think most players, especially at this buy-in level are probably playing almost all, you know, all their hands. I think two pair is quite likely that they could yeah. have a pair on this, mm -hmm. on this turn. But like I said, we still have equity against two pairs. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And then the board compare too. Like if the three, if they've got five, seven and they turn two pair, if the board comes a three and pairs the three, we're win. We win. Uh, three, we have a bigger or an two ace. Pair. A three yeah, and or an eight or an ace. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we have a lot of outs there. John, did you have something you wanted to uh, add? Well, just one thing I think we've left out here is I know there's only three combos, but them holding a pair of sevens. Oh yeah. Good point. 
Good point. They're definitely continuing to the flop to that small sizing with, mm. with pocket sevens there, definitely. So that's another set that they could have uh, turned. That's a great point, John. Although... I kind of think three bet maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they three bet that pre-flop. With this guy's stats, mm. specifically. Uh, yeah, 7%. Three bet. Out of position. Okay, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. 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 Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're not a crazy aggressive player. Like no. 30, 30, 27. It'd be nice to know yeah. what they are against a button, though. Big true. Versus button. True. True. Um, uh, you played you played a little over 100 hands with this player, Ben. Did you have any notes or was there? Any, did you have a sense of like I th- I hands would have, that they played or I would have put it in here. I would have put yeah. it in the post if. Uh, OK, um, that's why I put it like I sometimes will even put in like if they do something fast or something like yep, that. Yep, or if yep. I notice like if they act fast on every street, I'll put stuff like that in there and stuff like that, too. But uh, yeah, this uh, I can't really remember. Like I say, I definitely would have put it in here if he was, you know, a maniac or something like that. Then. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I think we can. I mean, I think that does make for more of the value hands here a little bit. But I think I think Kim's uh, hit the nail on the head when it comes to uh, our equity in the spot against some of their two pair hands. The only thing we really don't want to see are sets and straights. And there's just not that many combos of sets. And I don't think they're playing a lot of offsuit four six even to that sizing. So there's really only so many combos of straights that they could have there as well. Chris, what's your take on that? So you asked the question about let's pretend the bounty isn't in play because I have yeah. I have it for this hand. I think I agree about the call because we're in a bounty tournament. Um, if this is a 25 left in an 1800 player field, and this is a straight up tournament, I am folding. That was my um, original thought. Maybe I'm just a post-flop knit. People have called me that before. And I am folding because although we have um, a strong hand that, that, uh, that beats probably a lot of our opponent's range, there is a lot of like, kind of one player plus draw type holdings, a lot of two heart type holdings. Um, we are not even close to the top of our range. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to fold some parts of what I'm holding. And I think this is starts to be a good candidate. This is such a big bet. It's such a high leverage spot in such a, and if we fold this, we still have 51 big blinds. I assume we're still in really good shape. That seems like a healthy stack with 25 left in an 1,800-player field. Um, if we make this call, even if we got the right odds, I think the risk of kind of ruin here is – it's 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 a spot I don't like taking um, because of where we're at in this tournament. Now, right. when, you add, when you add the, the bounty onto this – now I'm opening up my range more, and now I think this becomes a really uh, good call. But I think this is borderline, and I think it's I understand the counter take too. I would I would agree with that. Like I I this just shows you the importance of knowing what your bet sizing should be right from the beginning, mm. because we wouldn't be in this spot I don't think if we had used the proper sizing on the flop. And to be 
to be fair, when, when I was telling you what the solver said to call with, I haven't put in that this is ICM. I True. haven't put in this is bounty. So, you know, we're just talking in this is where the Sims can be wrong, right? So, but I don't think they're wrong when they say to bet 100% or 120% of the pot mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the flop. And one of the, and we've kind of teased this out already, but one of the reasons to do it is just the quality of life benefit of having easier decisions later in the hand, right? Like the the quality of life equity, the happiness equity of just not having to stress over these weird spots because, you know, your bigger sizing kind of clarifies their range in a bit where uh, I think if they call the bigger flop bet and then we still end up betting the turn for some reason, then uh, I guess the stack to pot ratio is not quite what it would be anyway, but the action's telling us that they've got us beat a lot more um, in that case. When we do the smaller flop sizing, we are in this plot where we're like, they could still have a bunch of garbage that we're ahead of here because they didn't, you know, we didn't give them a chance to fold it. Uh, and that does, that does make me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> me too. And it made me uncomfortable in the spot. I was in the, in the tank for this one for quite a while. So. And, yeah. and then again, when, when, so, and then just to tell the audience, so they do have a bounty of, of about $165. Yeah. $165 bounty. And I think that was I don't want to say that because that is like, you know, I'm talking about pay jumps, but it's still they're fairly small compared to this mm-hmm. bounty, right? So mm-hmm. if I call and win, you know, I still it was really close, and this is why I was like, oh, I should, yeah. <laughs> now looking at, it, I was like, now nah, I should have been a bit big on the on the flop, that bigger on the flop, but uh, and, yeah. and it goes to show the ver- the benefits of having a bigger stack of of chipping up more aggressively in the earlier stages of the tournament because. You can even call this and be wrong and still have a 30 big blind stack. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I was just about to say. That was another factor that played into my mind was I was like, I know I can play off 30 big blinds or 25 mm-hmm. big blinds and run it back up. So I wasn't, I could still go, you know, I could still go the other way, but I don't know. I just, I was comfortable. I was, you know, I was fairly, you know, I was playing my A game and stuff like that. I felt like until I reviewed the sand and that's like, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> now, does anything but, change yeah. for people if they have us covered, if it's our tournament life on the line and now we have to call, uh, we can't win the bounty and we can lose the tournament. Does that, does that twist the dial for anybody? I think absolutely. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think this is pretty easy fold in that case. Mm. I think that that big a bounty, though, would sway me to the call here because yep. it's not my tournament life. I still have a reasonable stack left if yeah. I'm wrong or if I, I'm wrong and I don't hit the river. I yeah, think so. I too. think that's what that's what pushed me to call in the end, which I did, which I did end up doing. So, John, what's your take? Ben, do you remember? what that bounty was relative to how much money you had already earned, um, you know, we in the had, tournament. Yeah. We had quite a few bounties already. I think I had a couple hundred dollars in bounties already. Well, but uh, I but mean, on, what on the, the next pay, pay jump was. Oh, yeah. on the pay jump. I'm not really sure. I can't, I couldn't tell you. I could probably actually uh, pull up the tournament, but you guys can chat a little bit, but I can't remember what exactly. I'm just, I'm just curious if that bounty was worth more than the next pay jump. 
I don't it was think it would have been. I don't think it would have been because that was still like in that point in those tournaments, it wouldn't have been worth the next page. Like it would have been way more worth way more than the next page right. jump for sure. Yes, it yeah, definitely 100%. bigger than the difference between the two spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's right. So that's a non like, listen, that's how you make money in these bounties. That's a, one of the ways you make money in these bounty tournaments is by snapping up those shorter stacks when they've got a big juicy bounty on there. Uh, yeah, I think my big problem was it was this wasn't a short stack. This was like a, <laughs> this was like a quite a substantial chunk of our. This is like half or yeah, stack, right. So go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Uh, so so I think that so this this whole notion that we're talking about um, it changes a lot if we're the ones that are covered. And we should tighten up a lot in that spot. But when we are the one covering them and we've got enough chips behind that we can afford to absorb a loss, uh, that really that plus the bounty really puts me further in the in the call camp. Uh, no doubt. No doubt about that. So Rob said fold in the chat, by the way, because I didn't want to spoil that when we were before we came online. But <laughs> Rob is t- Rob type. I would have folded in the chat. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. I wish that's why I wish he was here. But a uh, little shout out to Rob Bosch from Rabman 50 there. But yeah, <laughs> yeah he's the best. of course he would. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, of course. <laughs> well, but was he right? Give us the results here. So he was. So he ended up being right. So at the time. So I was this was like 10 hours into the session. So I was a little tired probably but i won't admit to it but <laughs> uh, i actually thought they had sixes um mm. when they first turned it over and they it ran out a straight they end up hitting a straight on the river i can't remember what river card it so was but what did they have though? they had eight six they had a six of hearts and oh eight. yeah okay. so they had the pair plus draw yeah, they had a pair, so, pair plus draw they had eight six. it was the absolutely right call yeah yeah <laughs> yep exactly. it was i just i didn't it didn't run out well for me and they ended up uh scooping the pot but yeah. that's funny when we were talking about the hand i was saying like so the best case scenario is they've got a hand like jack eight or something like that where they're dominated um but that eight that six that that kicker is just like the one card you didn't want them to have yeah but even um, pocket sixes i was ahead of too and i had considered that in there as well as maybe a possibility but i thought yeah. maybe a raise sooner in the hand right but yeah so I've got one question. Maybe I'll save that till the, just the end. Um, so you you called. They rolled it over. You lost the thirty big blinds there. Um, did how, how did you like respond mentally and emotionally at that point? Was that frustrating? I mean, I'm sure it was frustrating. But like, oh, it was definitely frustrating. And and I'm Kim can attest to this because she's watched me play a few times and stuff like that. You usually like you know when I'm when I've lost a big pot. Like I'm. <laughs> some flamboyant words and, and the most might, you know, you see my mouse go, you know, <laughs> I try not, I try not to break my monitors cause they're new. Right. So I'm just trying to be gentle with my, my new stuff. But uh, yeah. So for me, I just find I have to step away. Even if I have to sit out the next couple of hands, even if I have to sit out two hands, that's fine. I've gotten to the point now where I just, I realize where I'm at mentally mm. Um, but I think I was actually pretty good here because I realized that I got it in good and I almost won. Right. So I realized, yeah. you know, pretty quick, you know, after the frustration and stuff that I was pretty darn close to winning that that bounty. And then I'd have like the chip lead. I would have probably been chip leader um, if I would have won that pot. So, yeah, that was the other question that I had was, I mean, you've you've you're you're not out of your depth in this player pool. So if you can get a lot of chips as well, going into the final three tables, 
uh, or the final two tables. Like that's a really good position to be in. So yeah, uh, the upside of winning the hand, it's not just the the bounty and the chips, but also being this close to the final table, being in that, you know, top mm. two. And the other thing I would, I will say too, from reading Dara's book is the opportunity to win more bounties too, because yes. I might, I might cover somebody that I didn't cover before and they might have a larger bounty as well. So yep. just and again, story. just having more, just having more room to absorb a bad beat, you know, like I can't tell you how therapeutically helpful it is <laughs> to just know that actually I can, I can just get unlucky here and not be out of the tournament. Um, which is a huge difference uh, when you've got when you've got a big stack. So one question for the group here. We talk about how the, he's got a big bounty, so that makes us more inclined to call. What portion of the player pool do you think is adjusting their ranges to that dynamic? Like if they know they've got a big bounty and you're more likely to call, shouldn't they tighten up their ranges that shove so that you're there ahead more often when you call with your wider bounty scooping range. Do you know what I mean? Zero percent. Zero percent. Does anyone here do that when they're in this kind of a spot? Like I play, I play a lot of knockouts and I always find like when I have a big bounty, people want to call my shove. So I don't shove as light as I would in a typical tournament, just like, when people have a big bounty and I have them covered, I call lighter because I want to win that bounty. Um, that's the kind of thing that someone could kind of take advantage of if they knew that if there's a bit of a leveling war, I guess, that comes out between some players. Uh, am I the only person here that thinks like that? Because I would believe that. I'm weird. No, I, I definitely think you're right. And I, I should change that to say 0% except for the people who have read Dara's book. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think along those lines as well. I don't play too many PKOs or bounty tournaments, but I, I think along those same lines as well. Chris, I, I tend to get more aggressive if I have more chips because I want to just keep keep getting more bounties, right? Because that's part of that's a big part of these bounty tournaments is a lot of the money is is in the bounties. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I can lock up as much money as I can, especially early, early is huge to win bounties and just win flips and try and run good. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because the way the way I kind of think about it when I'm playing myself, the uh, the more chips I have, the more likely I am to get it in and try and scoop bounties. But the bigger my bounty is, uh, the less likely I am to kind of shove it in light or with like you know Ace Four offsuit because it's got a blocker. Um, because I just feel people are gonna, I'm gonna have to put those i'm gonna have to realize my equity more often so i want to do it with a better set of hands um mm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think that i guess makes sense i think that makes a lot of sense i think that um i think pko i mean i don't have a ton i i play them sometimes for fun i i tend to prefer traditional tournaments more um but i i do play them and when i play them i think you just have you have to adjust to the idea that people are going to be getting their stacks in in a lot of different situations for a lot of different reasons some of them are going to be bounty hunting some of them are going to be trying to protect their stacks so they're just going to bet bigs they don't want to have a tough decision down the road something you kind of have just to figure out why people are putting their stacks in the middle and be mm -hmm. comfortable getting in the middle in a lot of different scenarios because it's just 
a lot more shoving. <laughs> I don't I don't play online that much. I just wondered, Chris, are, are you and Ben obviously isn't doing it as much. He's not comfortable with it. Are you using these hundred to one hundred and fifty percent pot bets on the flop? Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm trying to do it more and more. I'm, um, and well, it's interesting. It's yeah, uh, according to the the solver I had up. Those are the only three bets we should be making on this with ace oh, yeah, so, uh, offsuit, specifically with the ace of spades and the jack of clubs. So, so Kim's been very patient with us because uh, we we're totally ripping off the poker the poker guy two poker guys here right now in the breakdown. Uh, we're having this kind of natural uh, our own minds conversation about what we do first, and then we're turning it over to Kim to put it into a solver and show us what two perfect poker playing machines playing against each other would do at the end of the episode so we don't taint our analysis. But Kim, you've put this into Odin. Is that what you were saying? Yes. Do you want me to share a screen? Uh, I think because most of our viewers are, most of our audience is audio. Uh, it won't uh, work yeah. too well, but so, yeah. So it's really interesting. They like these big bets with all the over pairs, like nines, tens, jacks, queens, less so with kings and aces because mm -hmm. they don't need as much um, protection. protection. So we use some mm -hmm. small bets with kings and aces. Um, but with our jack eight, queen eight, king eight, um, offsuit hands and suited hands, we're making big bets. And with specifically with ace eight offsuit, they 100% of your bets are mm. 100 to 150% of the pot. That makes a lot of sense. Kim, indulge me. What are the balancing hands that are also making those large bets? Are they hands with two hearts in them? Um, are they hands with some uh, of the offsuit, uh, some of the offsuit queens? Um, queen eight, obviously. Um, Jack eight, I've already said those so. Some of the it looks like some of the hands like king two suited, which is with the uh, with the hearts or without no, the hearts. Without. Okay, like, so they've without, got it back without like with clubs and with diamonds and with spades. They like those they're big all, bets. Those big bets, really. Yeah. So they're not natural like semi bluffing hands that they're balancing that big bet range with. No, we have the two, but other than that, we just have <laughs> those are our bluffs are coming from there. Um interesting. So what are they doing with a hand like if 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 they have a hand like uh six seven of hearts, what are they doing with six seven of hearts on this board? And the board just for our audience is three of clubs, five of hearts, eight of hearts. So six seven of hearts would be six, seven, seven high. Is, is a high check frequency, like 42% check. Um like a small bet. 48% of the time. And yeah, then I'm so bad at poker. And then two thirds of the pot, just very like 10% of the time. So it's ah, a small that. bet or a check. I will. I'm just looking it up too here. And one of the other things I think to note here is that in addition to some of the other ones that we're finding that are, are, are bluffy, um, like I'm seeing, uh, and I don't know if you're seeing this too, uh, but um, like some of our ace hearts, our ace nine of hearts with the ace mm -hmm. of hearts, um, those are some of the bluffs that we might find in this spot. 
Chris, sorry, um, are those are those Ace Nine of Hearts or Ace Nine Offsuit with the nine with the Ace of Hearts? Ace Nine Offsuit, Ace of Hearts, Nine X. Okay, yeah, that yes. might be one that we work in as like a, a bluffing range type candidate. Yeah, mine has big, big bets. Mine has ones like Ace Six Off, uh, yep. King Seven Off, King Six Off. Yep. So the second card, like, mm. like touches this board. Yep. Yeah. Right. If we've got a nine in our hands, then we've got the gut shot, and it uh, also blocks our opponent straights. Yep. True. Those cards, and, and it blocks got, their top pair hands too. We've got nine. backdoor nut hearts, and we've got backdoor straights uh, with those kinds of holdings. Interesting. Yeah. So that that big betting size is actually even more polarized than I think a lot of our audience would give it credit for. I think when people think about big bets, they think about very strong made hands and then extremely strong draws. And what we're actually seeing here is that those very strong draws are actually good enough that we can continue at a smaller sizing. Um, and we're actually going even lower in our range yep. to hands that have like back doors, unpaired, uh, that's how we're balancing these top pair, top kicker, over pair kind of hands that are going to be in this over bet sizing. But don't don't also forget that we we're also checking a lot on this flop. Yes, good we're checking point. a lot. So, yeah. and that's what I seen when I when I first came in and looked at the hand again. I was looking at one point seven. I was like, why didn't I just check? No, no, but you're not check your hand. <laughs> oh no, no, with this hand, yeah, yeah, with this yeah, hand, but, yes, this hand. Kind of <laughs> that hand is supposed to bet a hundred percent of the time and bet big. So yeah, we all have to try and learn and do that. It's not a comfortable. that size for Mm -hmm. anybody um it's not what we've been doing automatically it's not what we've got set up on our little mouse scroller thing (laughs) right (laughs) it's like like i'd be more comfortable doing half pot than i just i just added this to one of my options i i just added (laughs) 1.25 pot to one of my options by the way because of this stuff that i've been trying to figure out and learn a little bit more about i like that I guess, and you know, this is something that it makes people uncomfortable and people are less studied in spots like this where we see overbets and micro bets too, but we're talking about overbets here. So if anytime you can get into a, a corner of the poker world where your opponents are less studied than you are, that works to your advantage. If you can be more comfortable with big bets than they are, that's going to work to your advantage. And if you think about it from a big blind perspective, I think we have all been trained that we're going to be led into with a small C bet. We're going to defend with anything that has anything, right? Any kind of gut shot, uh, single pair. Let's just see how, let's see how the hand progresses. And if you do this kind of bet, that just tears apart that entire line of thinking Mm -hmm. so we got a great response here from eric anderson e anderson 85 uh is his username at rec poker uh you've probably heard him on the show here before he's a very active uh, poster in the forums and comes joins us on the forums podcast every once in a while um he uh recommends using uh, a three e sizing which is just using a sizing that you can use on three streets that gets you all the way in by the end of the hand, according to the size of your stack. This is something that Gareth James talks about in our uh, study group with him as well. Um, and he's got a lot of really interesting uh, screenshots he's pulled up. In fact, one of these is from Gareth James's uh, program, I think. And then he's got some stuff from pokercoaching.com. I see something from Equilab and one of the other solvers that Eric Anderson likes working with here. So 
we've had a, a really good time. We talked, we've been like almost an hour talking about this hand on the podcast here, but I really encourage our listeners go to rec.poker, go to the forums and check out this forum post. The The link is in the show notes. In fact, you don't, I don't even think you have to be a member. If you just, if you're listening to this podcast, go click on the show notes. You'll see a link to the uh, forum post and you can see some of the details that uh, get added into the post. And if you're a visual learner like me, you'll really appreciate looking at some of these images and screenshots that Eric Anderson has put up here, um, which is, yeah, I just why I like using the forums for this kind of stuff because you get so many different ways to, to think about the hand. So any any final takes on this? What did you say he had suit-wise, Ben? Uh, he had the uh, six of hearts in his hand with the uh, eight of, I think it was us. Uh, is there was there a spade on the flop? Was it the eight of spades? Uh, yeah, I think he had yeah, hard on the flop. So yeah, I think he had the eight of spades, eight of spades, six of hearts. Right. The um it's funny because the solver likes a call with all the heart hands. Um, and it likes the shove with the hand, the eight six off that doesn't have a heart because mm. now you're not blocking your heart draws. Right. Right. Yep. Unblocking those those semi bluffs of yours. Mm. Yeah, so that's interesting. I like it. Well, Ben, um, well done. Nice deep run. Yeah, yeah. It was a long session. Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad I managed to come back from this. This was this was the toughest spot in the whole tournament. Like the rest of the time, it was just. It was honestly almost boring just getting it in, winning, getting it. In. You know, I don't want to. I did. I did lose some pots. I'm sure I did. But sure. if you go back and look at the hand histories, but it wasn't anything to slow me down or anything in the tournament. So yeah, and I was like I say, I was glad I got over this and just got right back in the zone. So, well, Ben, I remember my very first rec poker home game. Uh, you were at my table. You were at my table. So was That's Chad right. McVean. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I joined. Back three Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. Three Canadians, like probably the only three Canadians at that point. And I remember just typing in uh, something friendly in the chat and uh, you and I struck up a conversation. And, you know, that was, you know, that was a few years ago now. And was, you can I tell the start of COVID, I think, wasn't it? I think. We yeah. Were, I think it was yeah. like the end of 19 or early 2020 or something like that. Um, and you can tell, man, like it's because you're feeling comfortable in all these spots now. Like you say, mm. I just kind of rolled through this tournament. It's because. You've just gotten so much better at poker over the years for being involved with rec poker and watching the streams and streaming yourself. Like it's, it's impressive to see it and it's great. Um, and it just goes to show like get involved, share hands, play more poker, you know, play in our home games where it's free, where the cost of losing is very low. Uh, not only will you make some friends, but you get a chance to try out some cool stuff like 1.5 uh, X pot bets and uh, stuff like that. So Ben, if if folks want to follow along with you and watch the stream and cheer you on for all your future success, uh, is it Twitch that you use to? Yeah, uh, so I'm on I'm on Twitch. Um, thinking about branching out to YouTube, but that's it's still in the works. Um, but just Twitch for now. So just go and check out there. It's uh, bjamin ninety six. So it's not my full name is Benjamin. I I I even say it and I look for my mom, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, B, it's bjamin ninety six. So we be jamming over there and uh, nice. Yeah, now come and hang out and it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a work in progress. It's been quite a few years in the making. So I definitely appreciate anybody that could come over there and pop in the chat and stuff. Definitely much appreciated. So 
Are there certain times or days where you stream well, weekends? More yeah. So weekends for now. And then, so I work a seasonal job right now. So I'm looking at uh, probably switching to like a weekly schedule, probably three days a week sometime here in the later months of the fall. So stay tuned for that. I don't know what's coming up for online events and stuff like that, but I usually play on all the sites. If there's online, big online events and stuff like that, I'll usually dabble in all of them. ACR, 888, GG, Poker Stars. So nice. Yeah. All right. Well, go uh, go check out uh, BJamin96 on Twitch. And uh, like I say, go uh, check out this forum post and share your thoughts and let us know what, what did we miss here in our own analysis on the show? Because um, I know I, I know we don't get it right every time, Lord knows. Um, but all right, with with nothing else, I want to thank Chris and Ben and uh, Kim and John and Ben particularly for sharing a hand uh, where he did something that he knew was a mistake. Like, it's easy to just post forum posts <laughs> where you win a hand and like you get to feel proud about making good decisions. But that's not how you learn. The only way you can learn is by sharing your mistakes. Um, so kudos to you for doing that. So uh, I guess I'll thank uh, Mark Prashan and the wonderful folks at Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. Um, but mostly it's you, the listeners, that we depend on for all your support. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Laugh when you did that in the last one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, have a good night, everybody.